So thankful for all of you. My name's Mike. I get to serve here as lead pastor. I want to say welcome to all of you, especially if this is your first time. Like Pastor Mark said, we want to uh, say welcome to you. If you're joining us for the first time online, if you do us a favor and like he said, text the letters LPC to that number 31996. And we just want to send you a quick link with a follow-up. Or if you're in the room and you want to fill out our connection card, there should be one in the seat back right in front of you. And uh, just hand it off to somebody as you're walking out the back doors. Or again, if you've texted that, we will send you a very quick link to follow up with as well. Hey, I wanted to give you an update. I know that uh, I, I shared this on social media last week, but I just wanted to uh, say it in the room for all of you. Uh, over the last six years, I've been involved in a, a postgraduate program. And last Friday, I finally graduated with my doctorate. So I praise God for that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. And I commit to never, ever, ever, ever enroll in school again. It's funny, my youngest daughter just finished first grade and I finished 22nd grade all in the same week. So my goodness, my girls are so thankful that I'm done and I am too, praise the Lord. But you've been a great church in supporting that, so thank you very much. Uh, hey, also want to thank you for your generosity as a church. You are a very faithful, generous church. And as you know, we, we bring tithes and we give offerings. And whether you do that online in the mail or in the boxes we have in the lobby, we wanna let you know that your giving always uh, goes further than you think. We are very committed to very good practices when it comes to financial stewardship and, and how we handle money here, but it allows us to manage the leadership and the needs of our church and our ministry, but it also allows us to always be ready when opportunities arise to be generous and to help other people. So last Sunday, I had the privilege to preach at another church in town. A great friend of mine, Pastor Anthony Daly at Mosaic Church had invited me to come and uh, share about my book and the, the prodigal son sermon, which is probably my favorite of all the parables that I, I preach on. And while he was uh, introducing, well, actually he was doing the giving appeal before the sermon time, and uh, he shared this email. Now their church has done a lot of work in Africa, in particular planting churches and orphanages uh, that they run out of Clarksville, Tennessee. And so Pastor Anthony has done such a phenomenal job with missions in Africa. And one of the pastors that they support is a guy named Pastor Joseph Anya. He is in a rural community outside of the big cities in Africa, more in the village areas. And he had sent this email to them and he read it to their church in response um, to some need that they had and how that church responded. So I just, I asked him, I said, can I read that email to LifePoint um, and, and share it with our people as well? So the email from Pastor Joseph said to Pastor Anthony here in town, the title was a hungry man is a hungry man. And he said, the truth is pastor, this COVID-19 has done a lot of damage to us here in the Kenya slums. Some people have died. Others who have survived lost their jobs and had to leave the city and come back to the villages. That means now the church that I've been pastoring is now empty with less than 10 members. Even though I still preach to them, there are no offerings because they're unemployed and not even we have enough to put food on our table or for, uh, to even feed my own family, not mentioning the rent for the church and how to keep the church open. He says, so I have to be open with you. And then he said this, really convicted me. He said, I envy you in America that you are able to hold successful Sunday services and members can come to the church and attend. If I'm not asking much, I plead for your assistance if you can. He said, I can't hide it from you any longer, only for you to get to hear that my family and I died of hunger. The other option is for me to stop preaching completely, but I can't pay my bills or put food on my table. Now it's even worse. I don't exactly know what to do except to pray. COVID-19 has really affected us, particularly in the poor regions of the city. It's sad that we have hidden from death to corona, yet many of us are dying from hunger. Please help where you can. And man, how many of you know the Church of Jesus extends beyond Clarksville and we're all around the world? This is our friend. This pastor is a pastor of the same church that we pastor. It's the Church of Jesus Christ. 
And Pastor Anthony stood on the platform in front of his church and he began to weep. I'm sitting on the front row. He's about to introduce me to preach. I'm like, how do you follow that? You know, he begins weeping and he said, I want to let you guys know that because of your generosity, we were able to send a gift to Pastor Joseph that provided for them for the next three months for rent and for groceries and for food for their family. And I mean, the whole room just went nuts. It was amazing. And I'm telling you, while I was sitting there, I felt like the Lord said, I want you to do that as well at LifePoint, if not more. And so LifePoint, I just want to let you know, because of your generosity and your faithfulness to that, I knew God had called us to partner with Mosaic. So we matched that gift and then we matched it again. And your giving has allowed us to be ready in moments instantly to be able to give to pastors like Pastor Joseph. So now we've extended his three months to nine months and your giving has made that happen. So thank you. So I want to say thank you and keep it up. In fact, we have a lot of different ways to give here. Of course, we give through tithes and offerings, but, but there is actually a dream team for people who feel a gift of generosity and they, they have a spiritual gift to, of giving. And if that's something that God stirred in your heart and you specifically want to designate money beyond your tithing to opportunities like giving to our missions or our partners like Pastor Joseph or others, please see us and let us know and we'd love to help get you connected there as well. So thank you for your generosity. Lord, we pray for Pastor Joseph. We ask your blessing on he and his family and all their provision would be met by you through the church of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord God, that we get to be a part of this. To God be the glory. Amen. All right, well, hey, today we are continuing in our Book of Acts series. We started this on Easter Sunday, and we're actually kind of in a short mini-series within the Acts series. We've been studying the, the sermon preached by the Apostle Peter. We're in Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bible, go and turn there. I would encourage you to study the whole sermon from the Apostle Peter. It's his first time ever preaching. I remember the first time I preached. It was terrible. It was an hour and a half long. Literally, the guy that let me preach was sitting on the front row doing this, like, wrap it up wrap it up. And I looked at him and I was like, I'm doing good, man. Just hang on. I literally shut the guy down that was trying to shut me down. It was terrible. I thought I had to say everything I knew. Peter is preaching his very first sermon in Acts chapter two. And it is amazing. Notice as, as I want to encourage you to go back and study this sermon, maybe this afternoon before you turn on a, a sports game and nap on the couch or whatever, go read all of Acts two and notice Peter's heart for people, his command of the scripture, his desire to promote the gospel of Jesus. Today, we're going to finish his discourse picking up where Pastor Bo left off last week, which, by the way, shout out Pastor Bo. Did a great job last Sunday. Thank you so much for that. So I've called today's message the response to the gospel. So, so far, we've had, uh, let me just kind of pick up where we've left off. If you don't remember, um, it's Pentecost, right? So it's the Jewish festival of harvest. The word Pentecost actually comes, uh, the word 50, penta means 50. So it's 50 days after Passover. And this is a festival, an annual festival for the Jewish tradition, and it's their festival of harvest. So this is a time where people make pilgrimage up to Jerusalem to celebrate the harvest of their crops and to bring gifts to the Lord, to bring offerings to the temple. And so this is an annual celebration. They've had Passover 50 days ago. Now they're having their festival of harvest. And this is the time when God fulfilled a promise from the Old Testament all the way throughout the scriptures that he would send his Holy Spirit. I preached that in Easter that in Genesis 3, in Jeremiah's prophetic literature, in Ezekiel, God made this promise that the Spirit of God would be inside of the people of God. And now, on the day of Pentecost, it finally happens. And we see uh, that he, he fulfills his promise to send the Holy Spirit to be with us and in us permanently. Now he wants to live on the inside of us, dwell with us forever. So we've got these 120 disciples. And they're together for 10 days after the ascension of Jesus. And they'd heard, they're in this upper room. All right, I'm taking you back to the beginning of Acts 2. They had heard the sound like wind from heaven. 
They saw flames of fire appear and rest on the disciples' head and not consume them and burn them all up. Wouldn't that be a weird story to have in your Bible? Fire falls from heaven and burned all the disciples to pieces. That'd be a weird illustration in your kid's little, you know, picture Bible. Anyway, uh, all right, anyway, my brain's so twisted. So we hear those sound like wind from heaven. We see the flames of fire pin and resting on their disciples' heads. And they all spoke in other languages. In fact, your Bible says they spoke in other tongues, specifically speaking and proclaiming the wonders of God. Now, they're talking languages they never studied before. All of a sudden, they're talking earthly languages of the people from all the different nations that are there for this time of Pentecost. Thousands of people who were in Jerusalem for this festival heard it and saw it and were hearing them speak the wonders of God in all these different languages. It was truly miraculous. The miracles wasn't the tongues or the fire. The miracle was how God turned fishermen, sinners, mamas, and tax collectors into preachers. Can somebody say amen? So far now, Peter has said many things. He defended against the critics who said, these disciples are drunk. And he goes, no, they're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. Come on, that's crazy. Then he pointed to Joel 2. And that was what we preached on two weeks ago, that God has promised this for centuries, that his Holy Spirit would be poured out, that men and women would preach and prophesy. Come on, ladies. That the old and the young would be empowered to dream, dream, and have visions. That this is a, this is a move of God for everyone. And he mentioned that this was always God's plan. I'm just getting you caught up here. We saw Pastor Bo last week said this was always God's plan. God's plan. He planned it beforehand that everything God planned was centered on Jesus' death and resurrection and that Jesus suffered death for us and overcame it for us so that we can have eternal life. And so now he's about to finish his sermon. I love a pastor who's almost done. <laughs> I feel like every week I'm almost done for 10 more minutes, you know. He quotes the Bible so many times. And he continues to do the same in an effort to keep promoting and preaching about Jesus. So now we're going to see him finish his sermon, pushing us to realize that Jesus is above all and Jesus is for all. So here's the Apostle Peter in his very first sermon ever. you got to remember, before this, he was constantly struggling with saying dumb stuff. He was always putting his foot in his mouth. He was always the guy that I felt like Jesus had a prayer life just about Peter going, God, why did you give me this guy? And here he is, the first sermon preached in the New Testament. And he starts by reminding us as he's finishing his first sermon that this is all about Jesus. Now, let's pick up again in verse 32, kind of overlap from last week. Peter says in Acts 2, 32, he said, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Now, you've got to remember, this crowd knew about Jesus. He was this teacher and this prophetic leader, and he had just been crucified 50 days ago, right? 53 days ago. He said, this Jesus God raised up. We didn't raise him from the dead. We didn't steal his body. God raised him up. And all of us are witnesses of this, which we're going to come back to why that's important in just a moment. Being therefore exalted at the, underline this, at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Notice the Trinity language in here, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this thing that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So he's pointing everything back to God. All the stuff that the critics are seeing, they're hearing people speak in tongues, they're seeing the flames, they're hearing the sound like a wind. And he's going, God's the one who's doing all this. God is doing it, and it's centered on Jesus Christ. Now you gotta remember, by the way, can y'all just nerd out with me for just a second? I, I'm going somewhere, but I gotta unpack some of this. Peter has, def is, has been defending this promised activity of God, this sending of the Holy Spirit, and these fantastic signs 
that accompanied that, saying this was always God's plan. He's saying more specifically, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is at the center of it all. God raised Jesus from the dead. Notice, he's, he's like defending. This is God's activity. God's the one doing this. Peter's, th- there was an accusation as soon as Jesus was resurrected. The religious leaders of the day spread a rumor that said the disciples stole Jesus' body out of the tomb. And Peter's going, no, he didn't. God raised him from the dead. And then he goes, and all of us, we are all witnesses of it. This is that same word that he used earlier for martyr, right? Now, this is really, you got to take note of this. This is a powerful proof of the resurrection of Jesus. For centuries, people have tried to disprove that Jesus is God or that he actually resurrected from the dead. Have you ever known somebody that said, you know, I don't believe Jesus raised from the dead. I don't believe Jesus is God. I remember in college going through this season where I had people confronting me going, how can you prove that Jesus raised from the dead? And this has been a major issue for centuries ever since the Christian church started. Listen, but not only does the Bible say he raised from the dead, hello, But historians and scholars from the first century have affirmed, non-Christian scholars, particularly a man named Josephus, they have affirmed the resurrection of the dead. And we believe the historicity, the historical accuracy of the Bible. But this is one of the number one proofs of the resurrection of Jesus. I remember hearing this in college and it blew me away. Every one of these 120 disciples that were in the upper room that the wind blew through and they had fire on their head, every one of them said, we saw Jesus resurrected with our own eyes. And they carried that, that, that testimony and they carried that confession all the way through their life, even to their death. I don't know about you, but if I made up a hoax and you're gonna threaten me with chopping my head off, I was just playing. Anybody else would just be like, no, man, I was just kidding. We made it up for money. You know what I'm saying? Like, how many of you have, the, and, and think about it, of 120, every one of them carry that confession till the end of their lives. Almost all of them were martyred, boiled in oil, beheaded, crucified or crucified upside down. John, the beloved disciple, right? He ended up being kicked out of Jerusalem and Israel and everywhere else, exiled to an island all by himself for the last part of his life. How many of you have that one friend that if y'all were holding a lie, he'd be the snitch? You know what I'm saying? None of these 120 ever gave up the story that they saw the resurrected Christ. It's actually one of the proofs of the resurrection of Jesus that every one of the disciples was willing to take it to their death, even their own death, knowing and be martyred, knowing that they actually saw the resurrected Jesus. Somebody say amen to that. So here he's saying Jesus is resurrected, which is proving that he's God. Who can conquer death but God alone? And that he did it for everyone. Now look at the language that he uses here. Peter's claim that God exalted Jesus to the right hand of God. This is language that every one of these people would have understood. This is language of authority and power. Listen, Peter's claim is that Jesus not only raised from the dead, but he has been elevated, exalted to sit at the right hand. Everybody knows the the hand of strength for anyone is their right hand. I'm sorry, I've got a left-handed daughter. She's stronger on the left hand. But, But the general concept is the right hand is the hand of strength and authority and power. And to be seated at the right hand of a king is to be seated as their person of power and authority because the king's not gonna leave their throne. They're gonna send the person who they've, they've authorized and empowered. And he's saying that Jesus has been seated at the right hand of God and it's a statement of his power and authority. Here's what you gotta understand about that. Peter's saying this Jesus is over everything now. He has all power and all authority over everything. By the way, that's why we pray to God 
through the name of Jesus. This is the phrase that makes total sense to the Jewish audience that he has all authority. It makes sense because that's what Jesus said. Remember in Matthew 28, before he, he ascended in Matthew's gospel, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine, Jesus said. So he is seated at the right hand with all authority and power. Now watch what he does here. This is brilliant. Nerd out with me for just a second. Let me put that degree to work. David, he goes on to say, David did not ascend into heaven. Now, every one of these devout Jewish people, you got to remember there are thousands coming for this pilgrimage at Pentecost. And they know who King David is. He slayed Goliath. He built the nation of Israel. He wrote the Psalms. He wrote most of the Psalms. He was absolutely a hero in the minds of people. And what Peter says here is David didn't go to heaven and ascend to the right hand of the Father. In other words, he's saying David's still buried in the city of David. He's got a grave right now. David did not ascend into the heavens, but he, David himself says, and then he quotes Psalm 110. This is Peter's brilliant use of scripture. All right, all the nerds, push your glasses up, listen up. He quotes one, Psalm 110 and he said, but David himself says, the Lord said to my Lord. When you first read that, you're thinking, this guy has got like, you know, personality issues. <laughs> He's talking to himself. Anybody else talk to themselves besides me? The problem's when you answer yourself, you know what I'm saying? And start like debating. Anyway, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is taken from Psalm 110, verse 1. Let me help you with the actual way this verse looks. He quotes Psalm 110, which actually reads, in fact, I'm going to give you this same slide with one difference. Pay attention right here. It actually goes like this. In Psalm 110, in the Hebrew writing in the Old Testament, it actually says the Lord, all caps. Go look it up in your Bible too. In Psalm 110, this word Lord is in all caps. But in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, verse 34, it's in lower caps, which is a mistake of the editors. But in the original text, it's all caps, L-O-R-D, capital, 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 capital. The Lord said to my Lord, which is another title. And this is what is called a messianic psalm. David wrote this as a promissory psalm about the coming Messiah. Now listen, whenever you see the word Lord in all caps, it only appears in the Old Testament. The word Lord in all caps, it is an incredibly sacred title reserved for God. There's multiple names for God in the Old Testament. There's Elohim, there's El Elyon, there's Adonai, there's El, there's El, uh, like God, uh, Jehovah Sidkunu, the God who makes us righteous, Jehovah Shammah, the God who's with us, Jehovah Shalom, God of our peace. This word, L-O-R-D, it comes from the four Hebrew letters, Y-H-W-H in the English, but it's Yod, He, Vav, He, which is, it's called this tetragrammaton. Don't worry about it. There's no test about this. But literally, they would write that out, but they wouldn't say it. They reserved this statement for the name of God. It was so sacred, they wouldn't even speak it. They didn't call him Yahweh. They didn't call him Jehovah, but that's where those words came from later. But they literally, it, it was almost like, like the, the name of God that we won't say because it's so holy. They wanted to give a name to God that ascribed his infinite holiness and goodness. So they just wrote it. It was this, this Hebrew script of YHWH, Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey. And whenever that word appears in the Old Testament, it shows up as Lord in all caps. And in Psalm 110, that's how it's written. And in the original Hebrew, it didn't say Jehovah or it didn't say Elohim. It said the Lord, yod Hey vav Hey. They wouldn't have even spoken it. They would have just said the name of God that we don't say, which gives it like the ultimate expression of honor and reverence. Now, here's what he's saying. The Lord God creator, like the holiest way we can describe God, said to my Lord, this is to the Messiah. This is a word 
Lord in your Old Testament, and this is how it's written in Psalm 110. This is the Lord of us. This is our Messiah, our Savior, our Deliverer. So here's what, here's what Peter is doing. This is so brilliant. Watch this. We have the Lord said to my Lord. This second use of my Lord is referring to Messiah that would be seated next to God the Holy Father. Listen, Psalm 110 reference is brilliant by Peter because every one of these Jewish people knew the Psalms. These were devout people coming up for a festival. How many of you know the, the like... The, the, the slacker Jews were staying back at home. They don't come to festivals, but these are like the devout. In fact, if you go back to Acts 2.4, it says there were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men from every city. These were the devout Jews. And when he starts quoting Psalm 110, they all knew that as a Psalm about Messiah, that God is gonna seat God the Messiah next to him in all authority and power. This is brilliant use of the scripture by Peter. Watch this that this would be the promised Messiah who would come and rule and sit with God the Father in all authority and over all with all power. And Peter is telling his audience, listen, that this Jesus is the my Lord that our God was talking about in this text. He's absolutely making much of Jesus, saying Jesus sits beside God the Father with all authority and power. He's raised from the dead. He's nowhere to be found. We're all witnesses of his resurrection. And he says he now sits at the right hand of God with all authority and all power. And then he says in the very next verse, so let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, talk about some stones, look at this, this Jesus whom you crucified. Whoo, that is guts for days. This is Peter coming into himself with some, with some guts and going, this is the guy you thought you were gonna kill, you thought you were gonna put down, but God raised him up, God seated him at the right hand of himself, and God has given Jesus all authority and all power and let everyone in Israel know and everyone in the world know, according to Psalm 110, this was the promise of God, this is the fulfillment of that promise. What you think you're seeing is not what's happening. This is what God's been saying for centuries would happen, and it's all centered on Jesus. He's making so much about Jesus. Look at this here. He's saying he's over all and he's Lord of all. To call him Lord, look at the titles he gives him. This God, let, let, let everyone know for certain that God has made him, talking about Jesus, both Lord and Christ. Here's what the word Lord means. This is a word of mastery, boss. He is the, the ruler of your life. How many of us struggle with Jesus as Lord? Come on, somebody. Like we love him as savior, but we don't like him as boss. Like, take me to heaven, but don't tell me how to live here on earth. I want to go in the afterlife, but I really like my, the sin of my current life. Anybody else struggle with that besides me? Yeah, good. And all the rest of you are lying with your hands down. That's cool. <laughs> this word means boss, master. And listen, in the context, because of what he just quoted in Psalm 110. Why am I skipping? <laughs> because of what he just quoted in Psalm 110, I broke it. The Lord said to my Lord... So God, the holiest name I can give to God, said to my Messiah, sit at my right hand with all power. Who sits on the throne of God but God? So now he says, let everybody know that, that God has made Jesus Lord. He's made him God. He's elevated him to the right hand of the Father. Listen to what Peter's not saying. We made him God. No, no, no. God has put him at his right hand and given him all authority and power. And look at this. He's named him Christ. Now, Christ is a New Testament word. Christ doesn't appear in your Old Testament. When it shows up in the Old Testament, the word is Messiah. 
And Messiah is a Hebrew word, Mashiach, right? And then the New Testament Greek word is Christos or anointed one, but they're the same thing. And the promise of Messiah, listen, Messiah means savior, deliverer, and redeemer. So here's what Peter's saying about this prophecy about Jesus. God raised him from the dead. God elevated him to the right hand of authority and power. God made him boss and Lord and God of your life. And God made him the only way of salvation, deliverance, and redemption. Man, how big is that? He said, let everybody in the house of Israel know this is all about Jesus. And what you're witnessing is the fulfillment of God's promise. This is why Jesus is the only way to get to God. You can't get to God by a good behavior, by Buddha or any other way. There's only one way to, and God did this. And he said, let everybody know it. This is the plan of God, that it's through Jesus that we get to him. Come on, somebody. He says he's divine. He says he's boss. He's the only way to save us. Man, this is so rich. I don't even know if we fully realize how good our God is. That he gave us Jesus. That he's over all, that he's God of all, that he's master, he's savior. He's so good. Why don't we tell more people about this? Let everyone in Clarksville know. Let everyone in your internet circle know. Let everyone in your family know this for certain, that God has done this good thing. And here's what happens. Here's the response to the gospel. This is what I said in the title of the sermon. This gospel changes people. This gospel that is true and good and makes God the winner and the victor and the, the one who did all the work for you. Now, all of us have been exposed to some other twisted gospel where you're never good enough and you have to earn your way and God's always ticked off at you. That's not a good gospel. The good gospel is we're all broken and God loves us anyway and God paid the price for us and he makes the way for us to come to salvation. Watch what happens in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, remember the last time they heard something, they thought people were drunk. The last thing they heard in chapter two, verse five, they at the sound of this noise in the upper room, like a, a, like a, a rushing wind and people babbling on in tongues, they were bewildered and confused. And they said, are these people drunk? But now when they heard this, when they heard what? Peter preaching boldly the word of God. Look at this. Now, verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, now the 120 that are sitting over there, and Peter said, y'all be quiet, let me preach. Remember, because they're all shouting in tongues over there, proclaiming the wonders of God. Peter shuts them all down. But now he's like, okay, guys, get up. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and those other 119 disciples, and they asked, brothers, what must we do? Okay, I got to be honest. I'm really convicted by this text. Because of a number of things. First of all, I'm challenged with the response of these people. First of all, Peter did such an amazing job of not sharing his opinions or the latest tweet trends or the woke truths. He didn't share his feelings. He preached the gospel. He preached the Bible. He pointed people to Jesus. He pointed people to God's word and he points them to Christ. And their response was amazing. They didn't respond like this when they heard the tongues or heard the noise. They didn't go, wow, look at all these signs. Let's give our lives to God. But when they heard the word preached, they're cut to the heart and they're challenged going, what must we do to get this? Listen, can I just tell you, the miraculous stuff didn't cause this reaction in them, but the preaching of the word of God did. 
This is why preaching is so important. This is why we share the word with our coworkers. This is why we don't need you sharing your opinions. Frankly, I don't care about your opinions. I want the truth of God's word. If you're ever trying to share the gospel with somebody and you find yourself going, well, you know, I think, just shut up. It doesn't matter what you think. Here's what we need to say. Here's what the word says. Here's what I know to be true. This is what God's word says. It doesn't matter what I think. I heard an interview with, uh, I heard an interview with um, Brian Houston, pastor of Hillsong in Australia recently. He was on the Today Show and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on with Hillsong, pray for their church. But uh, this interviewer on Today Show was grilling him about his views on certain things, lifestyle things and trends and culture. And he says, you know, the reality is for a preacher, I don't, I love everybody. I'm not against anybody. But the reality is as a preacher, I don't get to give away my opinions. I get to give away the truth of God's word and what he says. Man, can I ask you to just embrace that commitment that you would be a people who stop giving the latest trends or the latest opinions or whatever's tweetable and start preaching the truth of the Bible because here's what happened. They were cut to the heart. We get so busy trying to like win arguments and be the logical winner in these theological debates. Who cares? We, that's not, notice he didn't change their minds. God changed their hearts. I'm so convicted as I hear this message and I read and I study Peter, like the miracles of tongues and fire and all that didn't change their people's lives. It was the preached word that changed their lives. I'm challenged because I ask myself, I go, what about my life ever gets this kind of reaction out of people? What do I say? How do I live so that people are moved towards Jesus, moved towards life change? Peter literally preached his first sermon ever. He was not a trained homiletician. He wasn't a degreed preacher. He just knew Jesus and quoted the Bible and people responded with their hearts being changed, deeply convicted. And they asked Peter, what must we do? See, when you study preaching, both of my graduate and postgraduate degrees are in preaching and leadership. And part of studying preaching is you, 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 you offer a problem, then God's word brings solution, and then you close with giving an invitation. So I want to invite you today. Have you made Jesus Lord of your life? And every preacher I know in the world knows how to land that plane and close that story and bring it down to a close and blah, 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 and invite you to respond to what I said. Peter preached so good, they were begging him for an invitation. He didn't even have to give one. He didn't have to go, now, what do you do with the text like this? They said, what do we have to do to get more of that? Man, what if we lived our lives in such a way that our coworkers and our neighbors and our friends online, and they just see the way you live your life and the witness of who you are, and they go, how do I have the hope that you have in hopeless times? How in the world can I get the peace that you're living in? What is it about this gospel that you are so committed to? How can I have what you have? That's what these people said to Peter. What must we do? We're cut to the heart. We're convicted. We are finding this to be so true. How can I have what you have? I just want to pause and challenge every one of us that's listening to this message. This is how we should live our lives. Hear me when I say this, Christians. We have been commissioned by Jesus Christ himself to share the good news of the gospel. People in your job need you to share the gospel. People in your neighborhood, in your family, they need you to share the gospel. They need to hear the good news and they need to hear it from you. Stop sending them clips of some other preacher. You're the preacher in their lives. Can you imagine if people around you started going, hey, what do I have to do to have the God of your life in my life? What do I have to say? How do I follow Christ? What do I have to do? I've been challenged in my, in my heart. I've been changed at the heart level, not just our thinking, but I've been cut to the heart. So Peter gives them a response. I love this. They go, what do we have to do? 
He said, well, first, he gives him three steps because he's a good southern preacher. He goes, first, repent. Can I tell you, we have absolutely uh, abused the word repent. We don't even teach repentance correctly. We've confused repent and asking for forgiveness. I repent of my sin, but I'm going to do it again tomorrow. Repentance isn't about face. Repentance says I was living this way, now I'm going to live this way, and I'm never going back that way. Jesus said it like this, whoever puts his hand to the plow of my kingdom and looks back is not fit for my kingdom. You're all in or all out. And what Peter's first statement is, go all out of the world. Now, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to thousands of devout religious Jews coming up for a festival, and he goes, leave that whole religion. (laughs) That is so gutsy. I'm reading the book of Hebrews right now really slowly. Oh, my gosh. I feel like I'm reading it for the very first time. And in chapter 8, the writer of Hebrews says, in establishing a new covenant, God has made the old covenant obsolete. So here's what Peter's saying. Turn from your life of religion. Did you know you can be just as lost in religion as you are in sin? Peter's first step to them is turn away from that life and turn to Jesus. That's step number one. Then he says, two, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now I'm going to come back to that in just a second because that verse has really messed with a lot of people. And then he says, and you will receive. Notice he doesn't say, and then try really hard to get. He says, no, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Anybody struggle to feel like you weren't godly enough or good enough to get more of God? No, no, he didn't say you'll, you might get it, you might receive it, you might earn it. No, you will. Repent of your sin and go all in with the family of God. That's what he's saying. Now, repent of your sin, it's an about face. Turn to God. Turn from your sin, turn from your religion, turn from your attempt to get to God, and just turn to Jesus. It is that simple. And being that simple makes it the hardest thing you'll ever do every day. And it's something you have to do every day. Paul said, I buffet myself every day and bring my life into subjection to Jesus. It's an everyday chore for you to turn from sin and turn to Jesus, turn from religion, turn to Jesus, turn from your flesh and turn to Jesus. It's every day for the rest of your life, turn to God. And then second, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now this verse, and there's whole denominations that have built themselves around this verse being the formula for baptism. Can I just clarify something for you? Baptism does not save you. You're saved by Jesus. And the formula of your baptism is not sacred either. Jesus is sacred. So let let me tell you something. Jesus said in Matthew 28, go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Then Peter says, baptize them in the name of Jesus Christ. So there's a difference. You go, well, is this a, is this a contradiction in the Bible? If you're ever choosing between believe, doing what Jesus said and doing what Peter said, go with Jesus. So at our church, we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Splash, splash. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you what, if you were laying on your deathbed in a hospital and couldn't get in a tank, I'm going to pour a cup of water on your head and call you baptized. Because the form is not sacred. Jesus is sacred. Whether I say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit or in the name of Jesus is not what's sacred. The, 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 the sacred part of your baptism is what Jesus did for you. Here's what baptism is. Baptism wasn't an Old Testament phenomenon. It appeared in between the Testaments, between Malachi and Matthew's gospel. It became this religious expression that Jesus literally took and goes, we'll use that. Like we'll, we'll sacredize this and, and we'll use it in the new covenant. 
But baptism is like an initiation ritual. It's like when you get initiated into a sorority or fraternity. It's like when you raise your hands for your swearing in ceremony in the military. It's like when you walk the stage and get your diploma in a graduation, which congrats to all of our, our recent graduates. Your being baptized is a public expression of a thing that's been happening on the inside of you. That's what baptism is. L let me say it like this. This verse has confused so many people because we've made it a formula to be baptized in Jesus' name. The formula is Jesus. Not the words that somebody says over you or doesn't say. Like if somebody said, in the name of the Father and the Son, and they dunk you, and you don't hear Holy Ghost, you're like, oh, I'm baptized. Get over that. And we got to stop debating over dumb stuff and preach the gospel. How about this? Into the, listen, stop clapping. Let me talk. The name of Jesus, be baptized in the name of Jesus is saying, be baptized into the family of Jesus, the way of Jesus, the will of Jesus, the word of Christ. Be baptized into an identity that says, I belong to Jesus. And it's a public thing. It's going public with your faith. That's what Peter's saying. Repent. You're here at Pentecost in Jerusalem, and I'm asking all of you to leave the faith that you've come to celebrate, and let's go public with a faith in Jesus. And then he says, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Next Sunday, we're baptizing in water. And if you've never been baptized as a cut to the heart follower of Jesus, want to be filled with the Spirit, receiving him, be baptized next week. We've had people over the years go, can I come in on a Tuesday? I'm really shy. I'm an introvert. I want to do it in a private ceremony. No, it is meant to be public. They asked me last week, do you want to graduate on Zoom in your house? I was like, are you crazy? I'm walking and strutting public expression of graduation. Ha ha ha. I moonwalked across that stage, sucker. I graduated 22nd grade. It's meant to be public. Your baptism is meant to be public. You go, I don't want people to see me with my wet hair. Get over you and go after Jesus. Here's what he's saying. Go all out from the world and go all in with Jesus and receive the fullness of the spirit on the inside of you. And then he says, shows us that this gospel's for everyone. I got two and a half minutes to finish 20 minutes of sermon. Y'all get anything out of this so far? So isn't it great how Peter just nerds out right? He brings the Bible to life for this crowd. And he goes, y'all been studying Psalm 110 for your whole little lives. And it's all about Jesus. And now he's here and he's resurrected and he wants to send his spirit to live on the inside of you. But then watch what he does. Jesus had this statement. He said, salvation will come first to the house of Israel, but then it will go to the rest of the world. Now watch what Peter says here. I love it that he kind of, kind of gives a little nod to Jesus. He says this in verse 39. Do y'all notice I'm out of breath? Fuck, I'm shouting and really sh chubby right now. Okay. He says, for the promise is for you. Now, remember in Acts 1, Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father. That's the coming of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, I have to go to the Father, so the promise of the Father will come to you, the Holy Spirit. Now, watch this. He said, now this promise is for you. All these, Jeru these devout Jews who've come up to Jerusalem for Pentecost, he goes, no, no, no. Y'all think you're coming to celebrate the harvest of wheat? You're coming up here to be harvested into the kingdom. This promise is just for you. And look at this. It's for all your kids. How many of you want your kids and grandkids to know God? Look at this. He goes, it's for you and your children. And then it's for all who are far off. How many of you thankful Peter was thinking of 21st century Clarksville, Tennessee church folks when he was preaching this sermon. It's, this promise is for people who we haven't even seen yet. It's for all who are far, far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. People debate this verse too. They go, well, see, God only calls some and not all. No, that's crazy. Everybody who God calls is everyone who is everyone who's alive. 
If you're alive, God's calling you. No one comes to the Father, uh, comes to Jesus unless God is calling them. God has called you. You go, well, I don't know. God died for some and not for others. That's crazy. Read your Bible. God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son for them. First Timothy chapter two, Paul writes to Timothy, he said, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our savior, who desires all people to be saved. So the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God on the inside of you is for you and your kids and your grandkids and for everybody in the world. Man, I love this. Paul or Peter was thinking of you and me when God gave him these words to speak. The promise of salvation of Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. The promise of forgiveness of sins is for all of us. It's for everybody you work with. It's for everybody you do life with. Don't withhold the gospel from people because you don't like them because God still loves them. That was a very angry point right there, wasn't it? <laughs> and this is how God changes the world. Has anyone lamented the world we live in recently? Has anyone watched social media or the news and just sighed and go, I can't believe the world we're living in? I honestly sometimes think the Holy Spirit would respond to us by going, I can't believe the world you continue to allow to be lived in. Because it's God using us to change the world. Ephesians said it's through the church that the full wisdom of God should be made known to the world. Some of us are like, man, I wish Jesus would come back and preach to this crazy workplace I'm living in. I wish Jesus would come and fill up my Twitter feed and tell all these people off. And Jesus is saying, I wish you'd go to work and tell them the stuff I put on the inside of you. I wish God would save my family. God says, I wish you'd lead them to me. Because watch this, Peter, I mean, think about this. We're talking about Peter, y'all. Peter was a horrible fisherman. Like that was his job. You remember when Jesus met Peter after he'd fished all night and caught zero fish? If I were him, I'd get a new job. And then how is it when like the boss of the universe shows up, say, how was fishing today? Well, it was a rough night, you know? Jesus goes, I can use you. And he actually said when he met Peter, he said, actually, one day I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He just took his story. Peter, 53 days ago, got punked out by some teenage girls in the courtyard when they're like, don't you hang with Jesus? He goes, I've never seen the guy before. 53 days earlier, Peter denies Jesus three times. Over and over again in the gospels, we see Peter saying dumb stuff and just being a dork, right? I mean, he like literally standing on top of water with Jesus begins to doubt that Jesus can keep him on the water and starts sinking. How dumb was that guy? And yet God allowed Peter to be the first person on the day the spirit was poured out to preach the gospel. Man, I'm telling you, if God can use Peter, God can use the youngest of three from poverty and no formal training and total bonehead kid like me and like you to preach the gospel. Maybe 53 days ago, you were cheating on your spouse. God can use you. Maybe 53 days ago, you were denying Jesus. God can use you. Maybe just two years ago, you were walking through divorce or six months ago, you quit your job like Jerry Maguire and stole the goldfish. Maybe you're a criminal right now. Maybe you're living in unrepentant, habitual sin. Repent, give your life to God and he can use you. Watch what happens. With many other words, Peter, Foot and mouth syndrome, Peter bore witness. He kept preaching. I love it. He's a good pastor. He kept preaching. One more thing, two more things. I'm almost done. Just stay with me. Keep the band going. You know, like he kept talking. He continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. In other words, what he's saying is get out of this way of life. 
So those who received his word and were baptized, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, wait a minute. Now, some scholars believe that was 3,000 men because it's first century male-centric culture. Some assume that it was 3,000 men plus their wives, children, and servants, which could have easily been 10, 15, even to 30,000 people were saved that day. Man, I'm so excited by Peter's first sermon. He was faithful to preach the Bible, to dispel bad theology. They're not drunk. This is not crazy. This is actually promises from God to point people to the finished work of Jesus on the cross, to tell people what God has done for them, for their kids and grandkids, and what God has done for the whole world. What an amazing gospel this really is. And the response of the people was thousands responding to the incredible gospel. Can I tell you, Peter, on his first sermon, saw more people saved than Jesus ever did in three and a half years. Remember when Jesus said, greater things than I have done, you will do. Because I go to the Father and I'll send my spirit to live on the inside of you. Listen to me, Jesus fed thousands, but Peter led thousands to Jesus. Jesus only had a group of 12 following him. Peter, in his first message, led thousands to follow Jesus. Man, how incredibly powerful is this? I want to close by asking you some direct questions. What if we would live out our faith in Christ with such incredible passion and conviction like Peter did? What do you imagine could happen in your workplace, in your family, your neighborhood, with your online community, rather than sigh at the reality that many of those that we know are not close to following Jesus, what if we started living a spirit-filled life and a scripture-filled existence and started trusting that God would lead us and give us his words to say that, to say so that others may know him? What if we started studying scripture, not just to check off the box on your daily devotional, but we started studying the scripture to allow the scripture to live on the inside of us, that we'd be filled with God's word and the knowledge of God's will, and we would always find ways to bring the word of God to bear to people. What if we would ask God to use us like he used Peter in Acts 2? Can you imagine the thousands that wouldn't have gone to heaven if Peter decided, I'm not qualified to say this? I'm a Jesus denier 52 days ago. What if Peter would say, I'm just a poor failed fisherman. Who am I to say anything? But instead, heaven was populated because he just was willing to step up and speak the word and point people to Jesus. See, I actually believe that God wants to save you and to fill you with his spirit and to fill you with his word. And I believe that God wants to use you in the same way that God used Peter that day. So would you yield yourself to God? Will you grow in your love for God and his word? Would you grow in your willingness to be used by God like this? God used Peter to change his world that day. God wants to use you to change this world that we live in as well. The gospel is good news. The gospel is still true. The gospel is still changing lives. The gospel is for everyone. And the gospel is yours to tell. Can I hear a big amen, everybody? Come on, let's pray to the Lord today. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the the sermon that Peter preached. We thank you that it is so loaded with the Bible and with Scripture. God, I pray that you would fill our hearts and our mouths and our minds with the word of God and with an anointing of the Holy Spirit that we might be able to preach the word in due season. That, God, as you have put people around us and in our lives, whether it's family or neighbors, coworkers, friends or enemies, God, as you have put people around us, you put them around us so that we may point them to you. God, I pray that you would 
put a passion on the inside of us for that, to that end. That, Lord, we'd begin to let the word spill out of our mouths. That we would live full of the spirit of God. Trusting you, Lord. That you would use us to lead others to you. God, thank you that you would allow us to be a part of your kingdom. That you would allow us to be a part of your plan to lead this world to Jesus. Can I ask everybody to just do this where you're sitting, watching, joining online, or in the room. Can we just open our hands to the Lord today? Let's pray this prayer of confession first of all. If you've never said yes to Jesus, maybe you've been cut to the heart today and you need to give your life to Christ, what shall I do? Repent of your sin and turn to God. Come on, everybody, pray this with me. God, I'm all in. Say, I believe in Jesus, that he died for me so I can live for him. Say, I turn from my sin. I turn from my religion. I turn from my trying to, to get to you and I turn to Jesus. I give you my whole life. Now pray this and mean it. Say, fill me Holy Spirit, fill me with the word of God, with the spirit of God, and I will live for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, God, would you use your people? Fill us, let our words be your words, let our heart be your heart. God, let the spirit of the living God transform us from the inside out and make us yours forever to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, now God, would you use us to make a difference in Clarksville, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, God online and around the world. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, that you would use us to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody say amen. Amen. Life One, if you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. I love you, church. Have a great week. Peace out.